Good morning and welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times live Facebook uh, news broadcast. We're coming to you after a, a couple weeks hiatus, uh, but there's plenty to talk about. We're here every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm joined today by Tanner Stenning, a reporter here who covers Hello. the towns of Mashby and Sandwich. You've been busy this week, Tanner, uh, between following a crash early Saturday morning in which three people uh, have died at this point and several stories about sharks, including one about a close encounter with a paddle border off Nosset Beach in Orleans that got a lot of attention. We'll talk about all of that as well as the latest on the shooting of two police officers in Falmouth. Uh, from a week ago and take a look ahead at a series we're kicking off Sunday about hurricane preparedness uh, in collaboration with the local uh, NPR station. We can take a look at, you can take a look back at uh, past episodes of CCT Live and follow along on all of our social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, etc. Um, so let's get right into it and let's start with these sharks that you've been reporting on. Uh, sure. Tanner. Uh, what, what, I guess, first of all, I think you, over the weekend, were reporting on a story about uh, a shark that was actually caught, which is unusual, or, or right. a great yep. white shark being caught, which is unusual. Yeah, um, This so this happened on Saturday. Um, there was a uh, great white shark that was caught in a gillnet, uh, which I had to learn what a gillnet was. It's a large uh, net that, uh, that uh, the state permits for fishermen uh, to um, essentially catch... Uh, fish by their gills and they become ensnared and then they pull them aboard. Um, and so there was a shark that was caught in this net, a uh, great white shark. And they weren't um, fishing for the shark. They were fishing for other species. No, of fish. no, they weren't. Yeah. Uh, and so the, um, uh, the fisherman had contacted uh, Greg Skomel, who's the sort of leading shark researcher for the state um, and uh, through a mutual acquaintance. And um, uh, I guess it was decided that they would, um, they would, essentially uh, use the shark's remains for research. Um, they brought it to uh, uh, Situate Harbor. I don't know. They had caught it somewhere off the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was closer to Boston that they had actually caught it up there. Um, and so um, they, they brought it to the harbor. It was hanging from a, you know, from a sort of a crane. Uh, the pictures were all over social media. Um, Got a lot of attention on social media, lot, too. A lot of attention. Yeah. Some people weren't thrilled. I know there was some kind of pushback right. about the idea of hanging this shark up here and kind of that classic, you've caught you've caught this shark pose, um, but yep. there was this nuance in that they were trying to use it uh, for a purpose versus just right. discarding it now that it's been, uh, now that it's died. Precisely, yeah. And, and so uh, uh, there was another um, I, researcher with the National Oceanic uh, Atmospheric Administration there uh, together, Skomal and, and that person um, essentially dismembered the shark there or opened it up. Uh, they found a seal um, that it had just eaten in its abdomen. Um, they also found a, a bass, I believe, a straight yeah, bass. bass. Um, so those pictures were, were um, interesting to look yeah. at. And, and, and so much like that scene in Jaws where they're going through the shark uh, and, and pulling <laughs> yeah, right, out right. Uh, the yeah. license plate and saying it came from the Gulf Coast. You can almost right. imagine that same scene. Yeah, so um, all of the shark's remains were used for research. Um, you know, there were some interesting facts that I learned uh, covering the story, which is that the backbone uh, that they used to estimate age, um, they take tissue samples to measure infections and stuff like that. Um, they also used the heart uh, and the reproductive system that they had given to researchers across the state and across the country, I believe. So, And they said um, it was unusual for a great white to be caught in these gill nets. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, again, what happens is these gill nets are out there. They catch an animal. It, it, 
it's essentially because it can't swim around and move water over its gills and, and get oxygen that way. It more or less suffocates, yeah. um, which, you know, people aren't, aren't necessarily happy about. But uh, typically a fisherman would have to just discard it. Um, and, and it wasn't purposeful, so they wouldn't be, I don't think, uh, you know, accused of anything. You're not allowed to catch uh, great right. white sharks. Right. Um, but in this case, as you said, they talked to the right people, got it uh, to shore, and were able to use it for, for purposes of research. Right. Otherwise, it would have gone to waste. They would yep. have had to thrown it back in the ocean. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, that was one shark story. Was you one, had another yeah. one right, right off the bat. And, yeah. and it should be noted, you know, uh, your, your uh, get jump on all things general, as everybody does here in terms of reporting. Our, our typical shark reporter, Doug Frazier, was, was on vacation, uh, still working on a few things. But, um, but certainly uh, everybody here is ready to jump on a shark story. What was right. the second story about? Uh, so the second story, that was uh, the first one was on Saturday. They found that shark on Saturday. Um, the second story involved a, a person who was here on vacation from, uh, from Hingham, Mass. Uh, his name was Roger Freeman. Uh, he was a paddleboarder who had um, gone out uh, on, on Nosset Beach, Beach off Orleans. Um, he went some ways out um, into the ocean and um, uh, to paddleboard. And he had, uh, I'm sure many of our readers have already seen the pictures, um, there were photos taken of him as he was out paddleboarding um, in the middle of the ocean with a very large, what turned out to be a great white shark, mm-hmm. uh, according to um, uh, authorities. Um, and uh, uh, these pictures that were taken by this drone overhead had captured the, the shadow of a shark essentially passing by. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was a series of photos. You could see that the shark was kind of advancing toward him mm-hmm. as he was out there. He was the only one in the picture on mm-hmm. a paddleboard. Um, and the shark sort of brushed by and kind of came by as he was paddleboarding. And and he told you he, he he essentially like looked around at one point and was alone, thought he saw maybe a shadow that he thought was a seal, but then saw the drone overhead right. and it gave him some sense of comfort because he said, "Oh, somebody's yeah. kind of watching <laughs> right. over me," but didn't know there was a shark underneath him until he came ashore and a friend of the photographer, uh, the photographer being Cody DeGroff. Uh, the local uh, photographer who had the drone up showed him the photo of the shark passing by him, and he realized how close he was right. to that to that fish. So um, that must have been an interesting uh, uh, encounter, to learn. close yeah. encounter. Yeah, close he encounter. was he was uh, you know uh, I think he had mixed feelings about the encounter. One, uh, somebody was taking pictures and not giving him warning that there was a shark, but he said that uh, it, had he known. That there was a shark that he probably would have fallen off the paddleboard. Yeah, exactly. Um, Almost so, a good thing in that way. So he didn't and, want to know. And, you know how you know. Sometimes those drones are a ways away from the people who are operating them. So how do you relay that information? And I know Freeman kind of brought up. Well, it would be nice if there was a warning system. He also said, uh, but we are in their world, and we have to realize that we can change right. our behaviors, and they can't change theirs. Precisely. I know uh, folks from the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. Uh, use this as an opportunity and are, are you know, uh, pushing out information about how to be safe when you go into waters where there are frequently uh, shark seen. And I know paddleboarders say, you know, they're out there all the time. The fact that you caught one on uh, a photo 
just so happens that that happened. Right. But they're really swimming out there underneath probably paddle boarders and, and other people using the water quite frequently. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, so again, it, it's always good to uh, a uh, teaching fe- moment, a teaching <laughs> moment. And, and again, the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy would certainly push everybody to, to check out their website and check out uh, our website, certainly for more information on sharks, com slash sharks. Uh, and you can find uh, maps showing you where the sharks have been. You can find information on how to stay uh, safer uh, when you're in and around the water. I think the, the big things are maybe don't go swimming at dusk and dawn. That's where the, the sharks are most active. If you see a lot of seals around, stay out of the water uh, because that's what they're they're really gunning for. Um, moving on here, uh, there was, a, a, again, a lot of big news over the weekend. And we'll get to the big story, which is something you've been covering. But uh, as big a story, essentially, uh, uh, this week was the shooting on Friday uh, evening of last week of two Falmouth police officers. Um, this happened in uh, the Seacoast Shores area of, of Falmouth um, on Ashley Drive. And these officers had responded to a disturbance call um, they had received about somebody breaking bottles. Um, and when they got there, uh, they they interacted with uh, a man, Malik Koval. He's 21 from, from East Falmouth. Um, and during that interaction, something happened. Uh, it escalated to the point where Koval ran into the home. Uh, these are all according to police reports and according to what prosecutors are saying. Um, and the officers uh, ran in after him from the sounds of it, from information we're learning just this week. And shots were fired. Some uh, witness yeah. said he heard three or four shots. And uh, the officers came out of the house and Koval was following them. And according to this witness and according to police reports, firing indiscriminately at the officers. Uh, one of the officers was struck uh, twice, once in the bulletproof vest and once uh, in the shoulder above the vest. And the other officer was uh, grazed by a bullet and, and struck by a bullet in the back of his neck. He was in and out of the hospital pretty quickly and was mm-hmm. okay. The other officer is going to be okay, and everybody's uh, uh, thankful for that. Um, but, you know, a lot of questions about what happened here, what went wrong, and and, and why this this happened. Um, Koval was arraigned this week in, in what is a little unusual. It, it does in happen hospital, from time yeah. to time, but he was in the hospital because he himself had been shot multiple times by mm-hmm. these officers who then proceeded to take him down outside the home uh, after this incident. Right. Um, so he was in the hospital. He was arraigned on uh, multiple uh, charges, assault uh, to murder, assault and battery on a police officer, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and one count each of carrying a loaded firearm with a license and disturbing the peace. Interestingly enough, uh, it wasn't read off, but he was also charged with resisting arrest. Um, that wasn't read off in, mm. in Brigham and Women's Hospital where he was arraigned. Um, and, and again, there's a lot still to be learned here, I think, about how exactly this happened. Um, uh, Koval's mother and and uh, a, a, another person, maybe his brother, but another person uh, are also charged in this incident for interfering with police. Um, and they were arraigned uh, on Monday. It was Kimberly Koval and uh, Marcus Masita uh, arraigned for assault and battery on a police officer, intimidation of a witness or, or police officer and interfering with the duties of a police officer. Uh, so Obviously, in this environment where we had earlier this year the shooting and killing of uh, Sean Gannon of the Yarmouth Police uh, Department, um, there have been other shootings of police. Uh, It's raised the stakes and it's really uh, raised the issue to to a high level where a lot of people are looking at incidents like this 
and wondering where, and I know that chief of police in Falmouth has asked this repeatedly and other people have, have said, you know, where was the respect that was once, uh, you know, given to police and, and this idea that shooting at a police officer is okay. Right. Uh, it just seems to be something that people don't understand. They don't understand why all of a sudden that seems to be more normal uh, seemingly. Now, the statistics, it's not clear whether this is just we're seeing it more here on the Cape. These are these are now uh, three police officers shot in the course of one year, and, and I've been here for, uh, uh, you know, 15 years or so, and I haven't seen that or, or mm-hmm. even uh, one police officer shot. Uh, so it is it is a high number here on the Cape, and, and they're looking at the, you know, certainly how uh, these different uh, uh, folks uh, went through the justice system before, right. uh, you know, getting to this point and what led. There's questions about whether, you know, in some cases there's a, a, a history of mental illness or anything like that that could have been part of this. But a lot of that is going to play out in court as as this uh, goes forward. Um, Koval is uh, scheduled to be uh, in court again uh, for a dangerousness hearing. And he was ordered held at that at that uh, uh, arraignment at the hospital, mm-hmm. ordered held pending a dangerousness hearing, which uh, basically gives a judge a chance to hold somebody for up to 120 days before trial if they're deemed to be a danger to the community or to uh, others. Um, so we'll see on August 23rd uh, at that uh, dangerousness hearing kind of what more information comes out. The other uh, two folks charged in this incident are up for a pretrial hearing, uh, I think, the day before. Um, so we'll learn a lot more about that. We'll be uh, following that along, and you can too uh, at CapeCodTimes.com. Um, this next story is a very Cape Cod uh, story. I mean, we go from sharks, you know, to, to shootings, um, uh, and and then kind of back to something that has a re- really local uh, coastal resonance, if you will, which is uh, the theft uh, the other night of a fishing boat, or of a boat, not a fishing boat, a sport fishing boat is what I think they were calling it, out of Allen Harbor in, in Harwich, and and uh, this was interesting um, uh, because uh, again, not that I'm sure it doesn't happen from time to time, but you don't hear about it too much where somebody gets on these boats, they're all in the Harbor, you know, they're accessible. There's, there's, uh, it's pretty easy to get on board a boat. A lot of times you hear about people getting on board and maybe stealing electronics. Um, but in this case, four people are accused of getting on board this $400,000, uh, boat, 36 foot boat and taking off, um, and, uh, and basically trying to, to steal it. Um, uh, this is, uh, Christopher, uh, Arms, uh, of Harwich, Lisa Shorey of Hyannis, Jeffrey Curran of Hyannis, and Jason uh, Mastaki of Danvers. Um, and they pleaded not guilty this week, uh, in, uh, um, Orleans district court to a charge of larceny of more than $1,200. Um, so it was, it was interesting also because they were caught pretty quickly, but not before this high speed chase across Nantucket sound. You, mm. you almost, you know, get the feeling this is like something out of Miami vice or nice. uh, not to date myself, but Miami <laughs> vice or, or Magnum PI or something where, you know, boats being chased across the sound. The police uh, were called by some um, marina staff who said that they saw these people and didn't recognize them on this private uh, dock area and getting on this boat. Uh, there's some evidence, according to police, that a, a screwdriver was used to get in because if the keys aren't sitting there, you still have to figure out a way to start the boat, uh, getting into an area where they could start the boat without the keys. Um, and uh, and then they took off, and the police arrived pretty quickly got on board the Harbor Masters uh, boat, 
and went out after them on in what was pretty choppy season, went about three miles out. How, how much have you been out on the water around? Very little, parts? actually. Well, <laughs> once you get out there, even like a little bit, and if it's choppy and the sound can get pretty choppy, yeah. it can be rough, rough going. So this harbor master boat cruises out they're going out pretty fast and apparently they got up along next to him and then police jumped on the boat and yeah. and uh you know it took them into custody and then brought them back to this dramatic scene of being cuffed and brought off the boat very so dramatic yeah absolutely and very cape cod uh to to steal a, a boat like that and try and make off with it not exactly sure allegedly not exactly sure uh, what was going through their minds, if if uh, it's true what uh, they're saying about them trying to do that. But uh, we'll see what happens with their uh, case going forward. Um, uh, the big story really this week, uh, though, has been uh, looking at this crash that took place early Saturday morning uh, of last week uh, in Katuit. And you've been following this, uh, um, Tanner. I guess, what can you tell me? A couple of developments this yeah. week in this story. Uh, and it should be noted that uh, three people have, have died in that crash. Uh, the Barnesville police officially announced uh, the, the death of the third person last night, although she seemed to be on life support uh, for much of this week. Uh, and that had to do with basically a donation of her organs um, and obviously a very sad story all, all around. But uh, what, what can you tell us about what happened here? Yeah. So the, as people I'm sure are aware by now, there was a very deadly crash uh, in Katuit, um on Saturday, just after midnight, um, early in the morning um, involving three, three people, all of whom uh, now are deceased um, the uh, the accident took place on, on Route 28 in Katuit. Um, uh, police were pursuing a uh, somebody who had. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, how or why uh, the pursuit was initiated, but uh, a Mickey Rivera at a Fall River, 22-year-old Mickey Rivera, um, was um, uh, driving erratically, um, swerving, uh, running stop signs. Uh, and police had, uh, uh, Mashpee police had uh, pursued him um, a short, for a short while. Um, and uh, Across the border into Katui. Across, Mashpee's, yes. You know, for anybody who's visiting or isn't aware, Mashpee being one town, the, the village of Katuit is in the town of Barnstable, so you'd have to cross a border. To right, get into, right. But it was still a short pursuit. It was. It was a short pursuit. Uh, so ultimately, um, uh, the pursuit ended in a crash. Um, that I believe was at the intersection of one, Route 130. Just and before just that before intersection, that. yep. Um, very deadly. Um, um, the gentleman who was struck by the vehicle, who was driving an SUV at the time, uh, we've since learned is uh, 32-year-old Kevin Quinn of Mashpee. Um, tragically, he was uh, coming back from Cape Cod Hospital uh, after visiting his wife, who had just given birth to their first daughter, uh, several days before, uh, and I believe he was um, supposed to pick up uh, the family, his family, his daughter and his, his wife that same morning. Yeah, he was supposed to go back to the hospital and pick, to them, pick up them up to bring them home. Um, and obviously this this really uh, struck a chord with a lot of people because not only was he a new father, a young father, he was somebody who had served in uh, Afghanistan, I yeah. believe, for two, two tours, tours yeah. um, had come back and was, uh, yeah, I think he was aspiring to maybe be a police officer, yeah. as a matter of fact. So and He owned his own excavation business here, and he was well-known within the construction community. Um, based on my conversations with friends and family, he was a uh, um, just a very, a very happy person, a very caring person. Did a lot for friends and family, uh, and those he didn't know. Um, so he he passed away. Um, he was taken to the hospital where he was uh, declared deceased, 
that that day. Mm-hmm. Um, Mickey Rivera, uh, who was driving the car, again, he was being pursued by police. Um, he died uh, instantly, it seemed, as well. Uh, there was a passenger in the vehicle. Uh, her name was uh, uh, Jocelyn uh, Goyette. She was 24 years old. Um, and she was a passenger in Rivera's vehicle. In Rivera's vehicle, correct. Um, she uh, She's from New Bedford. Uh, she uh, was declared, I believe she was declared deceased on the Sunday. Um, uh, so several days, but she was brain dead on arrival to the hospital. Yeah, and I think and, that's the, the, she was declared brain dead, which is right. legally dead for yeah. various purposes. And, and again, the important reason why I think police were holding off on kind of officially confirming her death is because she was being kept on life support, on life according support. to her mother, who right. you spoke to, uh, so that they could uh, basically take her organs and donate them. And that that's kind of how that process plays out. So, okay. And, um, uh, you know, this was... Uh, yeah, this is a very sad event. I think it uh, opened a wound in the community here, um, not unfamiliar um, for a lot of folks. Um, we've since learned uh, a little bit about uh, Rivera, Mickey Rivera, who was driving the sedan. Um, he had an ongoing case out of Bristol County, um, and he had a number of charges that he was facing. I think it was a four-count indictment um, uh, in connection with a robbery Um that uh, I believe it was a robbery that um, I think resulted in a murder. And a killing. A prosecutor, killing yep. Prosecutors said they had planned this robbery, Rivera and other people, and in the end, the person who they were trying to rob had been killed. So that was the... Right. And and this um, this was, was kind of something that we had followed up on. Mm-hmm. Um, we questioned uh, Bristol County about this. They sent a statement that... Uh, kind of detailed this this man's criminal history um, and it was um, it was concerning uh, he had an open case uh, in connection with this murder he had recently um, was arrested here uh, on the Cape and, and charged with driving drunk and and, and, and some of the things that came out of that original case out of Bristol County were also questions about the bail because he right. had been being held on thirty five thousand dollars bail. Yes. There was a Supreme Judicial Court decision that said that judges had to make sure that bail was affordable for defendants. Right. Uh, and after that, a judge um, and, and defense attorneys and judges you know, have said, essentially, listen, the SJC made a decision. We got to follow that decision. Right. And so the bail was reduced to $1,000, and then Rivera was able to get out right. on that, that, that was Right. That's the cru- crucial detail, yeah, the, the, um, which other folks have, have looked at, and it's, it's caused, um, it's raised many questions, I think. Uh, the fact that, um, you know, this person was, um, one could argue, should not have been out and about, uh, he had his his bail was reduced significantly uh, from thirty five thousand to one thousand in connection with that killing, um, and he was out, you know, on the streets. Uh, he was um, here on the Cape, and he was uh, pulled over for drunk driving, um, arrested, and uh, uh, the prosecutor in that case, who we've since spoken with the DA, mm-hmm. uh, Michael O'Keefe, has said that that prosecutor made a mistake in. Um, uh, asking that uh, Rivera be released on his own recognizance and not be held on bail. Mm. Um, that was another detail in this case that uh, is um, this uh, interesting, raises a lot of questions. Um, and it was just, um, so from, from there, uh, you know, there, there were um, 
a lot of questions that I think we have about sort of this man's history. Um, a lot more questions about um, kind of the court system and 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 how yeah. people handle these cases. You and, mentioned opening a wound earlier, and I think the uh, the Sean Ganning uh, shooting. There was uh, an immense amount of scrutiny and, and ongoing scrutiny of how the the man accused of shooting uh, the Yarmouth uh, police sergeant Sean Gannon in April and killing him. Uh, was out on uh, at all at, with his long, long criminal, much longer than Rivera's right, long, right. long criminal history, and and this, some similar questions have been raised here about Rivera. Um, a couple of different prongs here. You mentioned there's the the bail in the Bristol County case. There's the uh, mistake that uh, District Attorney Michael O'Keefe is saying his prosecutor made, uh, who had just been on the job about a month, and he said if it was more experienced right. prosecutor, he would have looked at this differently. Maybe asked for bail on the OUI, which wouldn't be much. I mean, but it would be something. Or asked and looked at the possibility of revoking or having the bail revoked in the Bristol County case, so that he would be held, uh, uh, you know, on that case without bail. Um, and then there's the police pursuit itself, which right. which there are also questions there, and we we didn't learn a lot more about that, but there was some information that uh, Mashpee Police Chief uh, Scott Carline released yesterday, and and you had a story about that today. Yeah, they uh, uh, the police Mashpee Police are uh, looking into whether or not the officer involved in the chase. I believe believe it was one officer. Well, and I think um, they're saying officers, and I think the issue would be whether he's he's maybe involved in the chase, but there are other people who are in dispatch and, dispatch, and right. supervisors who are also responsible for deciding whether a chase proceeds or is ended. Right. So in response to, obviously, those events, um, uh, Mashpee uh, Police Chief Scott Carline issued a statement saying that he has opened an investigation to, de to determine whether the officers involved were um, basically um, operating uh, or adhering to uh, the department's policy. Uh, so they sent us a copy of the policy. Um, it seemed uh, we, we had the broadcast um, attached to, to the stories that we had written. Um, it seemed as though everything proceeded, you know, kind of naturally without, you know, much controversy. Well, I, I think one of the things is it, there's the policy is pretty much, you know, you can proceed with a chase if it's safe. Right. Um, and, right. and, you know, I think uh, we had on the emergency broadcast that the, there had been speeds of 65 miles per right. hour reach that he was, you know, going around traffic. Uh, it all happened very quickly. So the judgment in terms of when it becomes unsafe is, I think, the open question and right. the time elapsed between when you're getting information and then making a decision as to whether or not to end a pursuit or not. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they cross into another town. There's some uh, policies about that in terms of alerting the other town that you're, you're coming into their uh, jurisdiction. Um, but I think, you know, this internal investigation will be interesting because it seems like there will be some information that comes out of that that's more specific to timing. When you hear these radio broadcasts, sometimes it's not clear as far as right. when exactly the pursuit st started um, and exactly how it uh, how it ended. Um, uh, and in this case, again, the officer was relaying information to uh, dispatch and to his supervisors as is required. It, gave him the speed, said it's about 65 miles per hour. Um, and at one point, there's a voice that says you can continue. So right. giving him the the ability to continue. And it on. seemed listening to the broadcast that that all of those, you know, signposts were being met there. He was, uh, you know, according to the policy, he had to communicate with dispatch, he had to give various information, yeah. he gave that. 
um, uh, he was allowed to continue. At least there was a voice that said, "You can continue yeah. what you're doing." Um, and uh, but tragically, the and I, I think because of that, when you look at the policy, it's really the judgment as to whether or not something is safe or unsafe. That area is interesting because you're coming from Mashpee into uh, Barnstone. I was looking at it yesterday. The speed drop, the speed limit drops from 50 miles per hour to 35 miles per yeah, hour. Yeah. The area itself where the crash took place is forested. There's woods on both sides. There's some driveways, but woods, if you were just in that area, you would say maybe it's a little more rural, but on either side of that very quickly, there's shopping plazas, there's a major yeah. intersection. And so there's congestion on either side of that, and all of that is supposed to take, uh, uh, you know, supposed to give you some indication of what you should do. As is whether or not you know who you're chasing. And at one point, it sounded like they right. had an address that they uh, were able to trace the car back to, and and that's something that they're supposed to take into consideration. So at which point too. they could call it off and issue a warrant or something yeah, like that, they, right? Exactly, and that's the idea. Is and and this is you know changed over the years as we were talking about yesterday. You know, uh, police in, back in the day, you you have this idea of them kind of driving, you know, until the wheels fall off in, right. in these pursuits and, and, and seeing if they can catch the person. And um, and there's other questions, you know, you're not supposed to be firing a gun at a car that used to happen maybe a little bit more. Now they're very, they have a very strict policy as far as how these these proceed. So, so that internal investigation is ongoing. It is ongoing. Yep. And, um, you know, I think um, as soon as anything uh, comes out of that, we'll We'll be reporting on that. So. Right. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, looking ahead to this uh, weekend, as I said, starting on Sunday, we're going to be doing a, a series of stories on uh, hurricane preparedness. Um, certainly the Cape getting hit by a hurricane. Uh, a big one hasn't really happened since Bob in 91. Uh, we take a look back much further to some some uh, much bigger hurricanes, uh, even as far back as the 1600s. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Tell your friends, uh, share the link, feel free to reach out to us. Us. All our uh, email addresses are at capecottimes.com, uh, where, where news on Cape Cod starts. Uh, until next week, have a good morning and good luck.